Hello, everyone. Welcome to InterSTEM Talks, episode 10. We hope that you guys are all uh, transitioning well into the school year. Our last episode was about resuming in-person instruction. And so today we're going to um, kind of leave off from where we started. But more importantly, we wanted to talk about uh, three fields in this episode uh, under biology that we thought have been developing a lot recently, especially within the past year. Although generally they're not maybe like the first things that you will think about when it comes to STEM. And so um, I guess those topics are uh, bioinformatics, biotechnology, and public health. And, and you can kind of already see why those have already uh, been very commonly spoke about within the past year. But beyond the time frame of a year, these again maybe aren't the first things that um, all of us would immediately think of when we think of something such as like biology. Um, so today I'm joined by not just myself, but I'm also joined by Mana and Gordon. Um, hi, I'm Mana. I'm a junior at Los Altos High School, and um, yeah, I'm really excited to be part of this talk today. Ladies and gentlemen, just in case you weren't here last week, I mean, not last week, but on our last episode, or maybe you were otherwise preoccupied, my name is Gordon Chang, and I go to Rancho Cucamonga High School. Now, as Andre said earlier, right, there's a lot of emerging fields in biology, right, and the one that I'm kind of personally most interested in is the emerging field of biotechnology, right? I mean, I'm sure you guys have all heard of that, right? When you watched all these sci-fi movies about experiments gone wrong, that, that, that's, what, that's what comes to mind when you think of biotechnology. But in reality, biotechnology is actually a lot more broader than that. It's actually a very broad field of biology. And I'm going to give you guys some examples of just how ingrained in our lives it is, right? So for example, like a very complicated process of cloning, right? That's what we see in Jurassic Park. Right. Obviously, that's all fictional, but cloning has been done and it has been done to benefit mankind hugely. And, you know, with also the addition of protein manufacturing, food production. Now, um, Andre, Mana, do you guys also have additional examples of how, you know, biotechnology has been, you know, influencing our world right now? I mean, biotechnology for me is involved in almost anything biology. And so it's kind of interesting how it's really been developing. I, I think the first thing, although very broad, that comes to mind is, is uh, biotechnology with, with genetics. Um, and so not necessarily like foods, but just like our own genetics or mainly with animals, which probably uh, directly coincides with cloning. Yeah, I can't think of um, any examples off the top of my head, but in research, biotech is really used um, to pretty much like help um, make the field more efficient. So you use machines and a lot of um, machine learning algorithms and stuff like that to analyze a lot of biological research. And that's not exactly a real world example, but I know biotech really is used a lot in the field of research. Absolutely. Those are amazing contributions to the discussion. And the thing is, like, now, now that we've all, like, talked about, like, different things, right, you know, obviously cloning and genetics, you know, mat pro like, food production, right, obviously the process of fermentation, right, it, I think we should really talk about the potential of biotechnology. Because personally, for me, I feel like biotechnology is one of those topics that when you really listen about it, you listen to it and you comprehend it, it's one of those topics that doesn't just get you to the edge of your seat, but makes you fall off your seat, right? That's just how up there biotechnology is. 
I mean, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure about Andre and Mana's perspective, but personally for me, like, that's really why I want to pursue this as a personal career because of just the possibilities, the opportunities that you can get from biotechnology. I mean, it could be the next big thing in the world, right? I mean, it could even start off something small, right? You guys, thing is like, even a simple biotechnology product, like toothpaste, right? The scientists have to figure out how to make the chemicals dissolve so that it's not just one big glob in our mouths, right? So that's just really how deeply ingrained that biotechnology is. And really the potential of it is just through the sky, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think we would, I, I think most people would really agree. It's, it's very future oriented. It's similar to like biomedical engineering. Those are like very common or, or just like popular, I guess, um, uh, fields of study that people are interested in right now because it's, it's like the future uh, in a way, not saying that this isn't the future, but just as an example, um, a general like biology, you know, if you're pursuing uh, a general biology education or something, that's something that has been happening for decades and decades, and that is super important. And, and every year we learn more. Uh, but biotechnology is really something that has been emerging, um, you know, recently. And so uh, with that, I actually have a question for you guys. Um, how have you guys been able, or, or maybe perhaps these aren't ways you've done officially yet, but ways you're looking forward to um, learn about biotechnology and actually like do physical, tangible, hands-on things? Um, I, I guess I'll just go first though, since I, I, I kind of posed the topic. Um, for me, I recently did one uh, workshop this past summer where we used VMD. And VMD is a software, it's, it's readily available to like everyone, you can, you can get it online. Um, it's actually like technically, I believe through the National Science Foundation, it's like through the government essentially. And so it's free on the online and you download the software. Basically what it is and is you can load any protein or um, uh, you can load any, any protein from the protein database and you can do almost like, okay, not infinite things, but you can do really a lot of things with that. You can change the structures, you can measure distances, um, and then based off of that information, um, you can just keep on going and then apply that to things in biotech, in the biotech field. Now, I myself am not like, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in biotech, but I wouldn't say it's like the one thing that I'm super focused in. But even then with the VMD software, it is very interesting and it doesn't just apply to biotechnology. It can be used for, um, you know, really anything biology, but it, it, again, it definitely applies to biotechnology as well. Yeah, and the one thing that I love about biotech is that it can all be done virtually. So, um, you know, science used to be all laboratory research, um, a lot of hands-on uh, stuff you had to do, but now, I mean, people like you and I can just hop onto our computers, download these softwares and explore on our own. So that's why um, there's a lot of appeal to this field. And um, I'm sure that's why Andre, Gordon and I really, really like uh, biotech a lot. Absolutely. And now that we have really talked about, you know, the potential of how biotechnology might be, you know, one of the leading fields in our future, 
but I definitely think that we should discuss the drawbacks to the biotechnology, right? The ethical concerns that, you know, there's been a lot of debate going on about, you know, kind of how, how far should we take it? So I guess, all right, so I'll start off with asking Mana first. Um, Mana, like, and then I'll make sure to ask Andre. But Mana, how, how far do you think we should go with this? I mean, if we take this too far, we might end up, you know, making some terrible mistakes. Yeah, so ethics is definitely like a hugely debated topic in the scientific community. Um, and there's a lot of questions even now that are being posed. For example, should we be uh, using tech and our resources to be creating, let's say, a superhuman race that's um, immune to diseases or uh, bacteria or things like that. And at the end of the day, um, it's it's such an important discussion to be had because um, if you think about it, there's a lot of power in science and if it's not used in the right way, then it can definitely be a problem. So yeah, I would say some examples would be, as I said before, the superhuman race, um, even like GMOs, just using technology to make these uh, better plant breeds or things like that. Like, yeah, there definitely is a limit and um, it's uh, dependent on how far the community thinks we should go. And, and for me, I would bring the example up recently that's been in the news of actually, um, although maybe not directly, like intertwined with biology, is like the Tesla, um, I don't know, robot thingy that Elon Musk recently kind of introduced, at least, that he was in the works of creating. Now, I'll, I want to make something clear. I'm not dissing Elon Musk here, and I really think that that's a really interesting idea and that it should be pursued, and it is being pursued. But the robot that he had posed, by the way, if, if anyone hasn't heard of um, the Tesla, I think it's called the Tesla bot. What it is, is that it would, it would take care of repetitive daily tasks. So for example, I'm not sure if this, if this qualifies under that list, but like washing the dishes or cleaning the house, kind of like already like an iRomba does. Um, just doing like the daily tasks in a house or something, uh, or some stationary location that can ease work that humans normally do and set that aside. Now that's not necessarily biotechnology. That's not the fusion of natural sciences and technology, which is really what biotechnology is. But um, I will say that in that example, which is for me, the first thing that comes to mind, is that I think that's almost as far as we should go. Like it really should not be much farther than that. Um, the idea that a robot already has the mental capacity of a human to do those daily tasks is already scary enough to where it's very helpful and we should try to pursue that as an advantage for any human to, um, to, to take advantage of, but it can go too far, I would say. Absolutely. And it's kind of like this, um, I don't know if this, uh, as my final point that I want to make is, you know, is the cost and production of all this stuff. This kind of does relate to like biotechnology, but like one of the things that I kind of wanted to talk about was kind of how like people who are like diabetic, right? They need to purchase certain products like insulin, right? And the, the, and the cost for that is extremely expensive, right? And the thing is like, that just feels completely unfair because everyone should have the right to, you know, live a successful life. 
right? And the thing is, when you don't have that, and it's like, you have to pay for this, it, it is extremely detrimental to, to personal finance. And it's really unethical, in my opinion. And that's why we need science to be more ingrained in society. I mean, we need the public to understand that they, while they may not be doing research, they can always take part in these discussions, right? They can always be involved in the ethical aspect. And the more um, voices that we have and more voices that are heard, then the more opinions we'll have and it'll only get better. I would, I just want to add on that. I, I really do agree with that because um, ethical standards in the long run, you can try to prove it with data and there are ways to do so in some limited scenarios. But at the end of the day, it's ethics and morals and um, the best people who probably can decide that is the community that that biotech would be serving. So I would really agree with that. Okay, so the next thing that I think we should um, discuss, as mentioned, there would be three topics that we wanted to talk about today. Uh, and one of those is bioinformatics. It's once again intertwined with biotechnology. Um, but it's more about the collection of data. And so it's not something that I have uh, done a ton, but I believe Mana has. Um, and so uh, Mana, if you just wanted to like give a kind of quick synopsis of what bioinformatics really is, like, like what is bioinformatics? Yeah, so um, bioinformatics was, uh, well, it is a really important field. Um, it's an interdisciplinary field between computer science and biology, and it allows us to organize and analyze um, huge amounts of complex biological data that we wouldn't even be able to do without these efficient um, algorithms or programs. And I just want to start off by saying that this entire field, it was fueled by something I'm sure many of you guys have heard of called the Human Genome Project. Um, which was this huge international feat, which involved determining um, the sequence of base pairs that make up human DNA. And this was so revolutionary because it was really the foundation for learning about how variations in certain genes can cause diseases that people had never really had a chance to explore before. So that really fueled the creation of the study that is now called bioinformatics. And yeah. Um, that's pretty much a whole synopsis of it. So uh, basically what goes on is you're processing a lot of information. You know, you have scientists, you have researchers that are doing all these experiments, but they don't really know how to connect it to experiments that people may be doing, let's say in China, for example. So finding these patterns in the information, um, for example, if you know that a certain gene plays a role in diabetes, and you know that that gene interacts with another gene um, whose function we're not really sure of, uh, there may be some sort of connection between that unknown gene and the onset of diabetes. So finding those patterns is crucial for learning more about genetic diseases. And that's pretty much the power of bioinformatics. Yeah, um, I, I kind of heard human genome projects um, and, and all of that, obviously. Um, and although it's slightly off topic, I just thought that I would mention it because we're talking about biology and this is literally something you hear about in every biology course. Um, one of the stories that is somewhat affiliated with the Human Genome Project is actually like Watson and Crick and the, the um, Nobel Prize kind of 
feud, perhaps, uh, with Rosalind Franklin. For those of you who don't know, although it really is in like a lot of biology textbooks and it's commonly uh, alluded to, um, is how Rosalind Franklin uh, back in, I don't know, whenever it was discovered in the 20th century, I think like mid 20th century, um, Rosalind Franklin had been doing various labs. And so there had been previous kind of collaborations slash um, just communications, whether good or bad between Watson and Crick and uh, Rosalind Franklin. And Rosalind Franklin, for her time, of course, was a uh, female lab researcher trying to uncover what really was DNA? Like what, what was the structure? What allowed DNA to have such like, um, I guess advantages in a way because it's like so well strongly secure and protected. Um, not that other parts of the body aren't, but DNA is super essential to the body. Um, and so I am kind of basing this off of like different perspectives and, and fusing them together. But what I'm trying to get at is um, that Rosalind Franklin, technically, now these days, in most views of scientists, actually discovered the double helix structure of DNA. But uh, Watson and Crick took credit for it. Um, and uh, Rosalind Franklin had done so many different, uh, I think, CT scans, um, different scans in the laboratory and without protective gear and equipment. So she actually passed away from cancer. Uh, and so when it was time for someone to receive the Nobel Prize of finding uh, you know, the structure of DNA as being the double helix, well, Watson and Crick received it. And so Watson, the reason I mentioned all of this is because Watson is, is currently the director of the human genome. Oh, no, wait, sorry, was not, is not the current director of the human genome project. He was um, the first director of the human genome project. And uh, again, kind of side story, but he actually sold his Nobel prize at one point. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I just think that there's a very interesting uh, almost historical discussion in, in this whole uh, thing about biology and, and the double helix. Um, but he was the director of the human, human, ooh, 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 human genome project. Uh, and it was just trying to piece together, you know, on an international effort, all of the, the, the sequences of DNA that compose the entire human genome uh, as, as Mana had already kind of explained. And so um, the interesting thing is once the entire effort was done, someone else came along and was able to um, develop some type of machinery or software. So again, biotech related and that machine rare software was able to compute the entire human genome in about five minutes. So that's an interesting uh, kind of um, example of transformation, I guess, of the biotech um, industry and you know how that relates directly with bioinformatics. This was all human genome related, which of course is, is very integral part 
of bioinformatics. Um, one thing that I was wondering if we could talk about for both biotech and bioinformatics could be either. How have you guys gotten involved with like high school opportunities or what do you think would be um, a good opportunity that maybe you've participated in yourself for others? So um, I guess Gordon, if you wanted to go first. So personally, like a really good opportunity that I was involved in is actually, uh, you know, one of my close friends in high school, he actually started a biotechnology club. Now, you know, obviously starting the club in itself is you know, a relatively simple thing to do. All you gotta do is fill out an application. But uh, my very close friend, he really, he really took it to the next level, right? He made sure that, you know, everything that we did was top-notch stuff. And although that, you know, it was kind of cut short by the school year, you know, that was an absolutely amazing opportunity, right? Not my friend, not only just, you know, he really took that club and he really ran with it. He sprinted with it. And, you know, I just really wanted to applaud him for what he did. So what he was trying to do was definitely give us some more STEM opportunities, like finding more about like, you know, obviously like presentations, right? And also, you know, he tried to find us, you know, competitions that we could be a part of, right? And that was geared to mainly towards biotech, but it, but currently it has now been more of developed into a kind of a STEM club. But regardless of that, you know, my friend has done an exceptional job at really just promoting biotechnology and, and other forms of the STEM field, right? He's really taken that out there like a true superstar. So yeah, it, it has been a wonderful opportunity as well as InterSTEM, right? InterSTEM does have lots of STEM opportunities. So definitely being a part of being in here is definitely something that I'm really grateful for, something that I'm very happy about. And I'm sure Andre and Mana, you guys would agree with me on that. Definitely shameless self plug there. Um, how about you, Mana? Um, so one thing I want to say that Gordon brought up was competitions. Um, and obviously you can enter in one as a group, but you can also do them individually. And um, I know I did this in middle school and I'd love to do it in high school too, but there's actually a science competition in the Bay Area called Synopsis. And um, you can basically work uh, alone or you can work with like a private institution and you can make your own research project. It can be biotechnology, it can be bioinformatics, pretty much any field of science you want. And it's a great way to basically present your research to um, experts who know what they're talking about. And uh, if you win, then you get a lot of great opportunities that you can go and um, pursue later. But yeah, competitions are a great way to get involved. Even just writing competitions, like write about really interesting things that you read on the news. For example, um, I was browsing like the scientific journal the other day and I saw this really cool article about um, how you can apparently store movies on DNA. And I was just thinking to myself, like, that would be a great article to write. I would learn more about the subject and I mean, people would also be more informed. So yeah, competitions, um, do blogs, do podcasts like this. Yeah. In the end, it all comes back to interest time, doesn't it all? Um, for me to other kind of, or not, not just to, there's a lot of summer, opportunities, whether that's camps or internships or um, things that you can apply for that aren't necessarily either of the two, maybe they're more like workshop oriented, um, but there's a few. So kind of both biotech and informatics kind of in that sector, there is uh, computational biology. And so there's different programs for that. And just two that I would mention um, our scripts research and 
Um, I, I, what was the other one? I think Mana also mentioned one in a, in a prior discussion. Yeah, it was uh, UChicago. So okay. I, did, I did it this last summer and it has a really great computational biology program. Yeah, and so both of those would be a great um, option if you're interested in computational biology. There's also Cosmos, which is a very well-known um, kind of um, science. It, it, it's for engineering and biology and to some degree mathematics. Um, but it's in the state of California and they're like the, they have clusters at different UC schools. And so you can pursue specific um, fields or like specific research kind of on a topic. So with that, there's like a lot of biology, biotech and health courses within Cosmos. For example, one of them that I'm familiar with is um, tissue engineering and regenerative medicine. I'm not sure which school that is, but that's a very kind of niche thing that is um, an example of what is at a Cosmos cluster. Um, and then also one thing I did this past summer, which introduced me to VMD software because I actually didn't know about it beforehand, was um, uh, Rosetta. Rosetta is kind of an organization to some extent um, that has different workshops on biology topics. The one that I did was medicinal chemistry. And so that was very interesting to me because it was not just like biotech and BMD software, but it was also um, a lot about the absorption of drugs. Um, there's like this process actually called ADME, which is the process they use in pharmacology to determine like if a drug is, is essentially good enough. And so there's ADME is, is the acronym for um, absorption, distribution, metabolism, and excretion. And so um, uh, that was very interesting as well. And it is um, kind of in the area of bioinformatics and biotechnology, although that program also uh, spanned into like kind of pharmacology a little bit. I just want to say, um, I can definitely back Andre up on the Rosetta program. I did that in high school as well. And I believe it was an immunology program. And yeah, the workshops are really great. They're really informative. And um, it's also smaller organizations. So unlike in Chicago and Cosmos, which are like really big, um, well-known things, um, Rosetta definitely gives you a lot more um, experience one-on-one, -on -one, I would say. Yeah, for sure. So that's not to, I, I also just wanna say, that's not to say that the other programs that are larger and very well-known are not good. There's a reason why they're large and, and very well-known. Um, but if you can try to like find a smaller opportunity, sometimes uh, in addition to larger ones, um, programs that have a more interconnected like staff kind of, uh, where people can really get to know you directly and you can maybe pursue your research beyond that workshop if that's something that you're interested in. I think it's a very good idea to try to kind of uh, research those different avenues, so. Okay, and the last field um, kind of in biology that we were hoping to talk about today is public health. And public health has been the probably number one most talked about study of science and just overall like number one, um, uh, like, like, how do I say, field of profession, like um, 
not industry, but if you've talked about one group of people within this past year, you've talked about public health officials. And so um, today we'll kind of be talking a lot about public health because people have certain misunderstandings with them, which is under completely understandable. Some people don't maybe know exactly what public health is. Maybe it's confusing. Um, and so not only can we clear that up today, but we can talk about like different opportunities that there are in ways to get involved with public health um, and all of that kind of stuff. And so one of the people that we're hoping to have here um, on this podcast, but unfortunately they weren't able to um, make it because they're actually just moving into their dorm um, is an undergraduate at John Hopkins who is in a direct matriculation program in public health. Uh, their name's Jessica Lee and they were super generous in kind of um, providing answers to different questions. So while they weren't able to be on the podcast today, uh, they were able to give their insights. And so we'll be going over some of her insights um, as a public health student and someone who's very passionate about that. I actually met Jessica through like a CDC public health program. And so she's super involved in that. Um, and so she just has some very interesting um, overall advice and insights that we can talk about today. So um, first off, the most, the biggest, I guess, misunderstanding that people don't always realize to the full extent is just the definition of public health, which seems very simple. Um, but the problem is it's often confused with like medicine, um, like, or just public things in general, or um, public health, people think of it as like a subset under medicine, when in reality, it's, it's its own category in a way, but it's the science of number one, preventing death, two, disease, and three, disability at the community and population level. So in a way, by, by focusing on the community and the population level, it's almost not just a subset, but it's like the overarching theme in health and medicine overall, because it's focusing on communities. Um, now, there's different instances where that's true and not, but overall, it, it, it really is a science of preventing death, disease, and disability um, for everyone. A doctor on the other hand, or a physician or a nurse practitioner, any of those um, uh, health officials or medical professionals more so will be focusing on specific patients and like kind of like a case study. If you've done plenty of case studies before, it's, it's centered around that individual and solving uh, the issue at hand and, and making sure that they're treated uh, with the best proper care as a patient, but public health is everyday life at the community level. And so the other misconception with that is that health is simply determined as a sum of the health of all individuals in a group. And so this that's like word for word, kind of what Jessica had explained to me. Um, and essentially that's a misconception because health of a group is, is determined more wholly and more holistically than someone as a doctor. And so uh, laws, local environment kind of regulations, even community relationships 
are things that determine how healthy a population is and not just the sum of uh, the health states of individuals like within a community. And so that's one of the things that she thought was like a huge misconception um, with public health. And so one of the things, the first thing I did at my CDC um, public health kind of opportunity was ex like defining examples of public health. And so I wanted to ask you two, um, maybe one for each of you guys. What is one example of public health that immediately comes to your mind that is not COVID related? Because that's like the first thing that obviously comes to mind. Um, what is an example of, of public health? And you guys might be familiar with this. It might be very basic, but it kind of um, can address some of the misconceptions. Um, honestly, I would say uh, anything to do with going to the airport and seeing like those TSA signs um, about Zika viruses or like outbreaks um, that you know people might be bringing in from uh, different countries. So I think that's probably the main thing I can think about for public health if we're not talking about COVID. I'd actually have like a, a very similar example. So, uh, you know, this is actually pretty humorous, but, you know, as a person who is really interested in, you know, lots of bio stuff. So, you know, I do try to watch a lot of, you know, I guess TV shows and movies that are kind of based on, you know, um, definitely types of public health, right? So what I'm alluding to right now is this show called The Hot Zone. And it was created by National Geographic, and it actually talks about the Ebola Ebola outbreak that could have happened. It didn't actually happen, but in the United States, um, there in 1989 there was um, out, uh, several cases of Ebola based on some monkeys, and this is uh, it's really I really did never heard about that. So like for me, it was really interesting because I saw throughout the show, although it was a dramatized depiction of it, that you know I saw the government definitely trying to you know, maintain everyone's public health and like, you know, immediately setting in a stone different types of actions to control the outbreak of Ebola, right? And, you know, it was a really interesting show. And not only was I entertained, I definitely got to see some more insight on how, you know, public health officials work directly with the military and people of other high-ranking professions. Yeah, Ebola was the first limelight within the past decade yes. that public health I think really had uh, that's where public health was very well introduced to populations um so if I'm getting you right you guys are kind of just saying like other endemics or outbreaks or epidemics like that kind of being considered a public health which is a major component of public health but it stems into so many other things which is really why I find public health interesting because it involves um uh, environmental health, mental health, public health law, injury prevention, birth defects, um, uh, immunology to some extent, not really. Um, uh, let's see, there's also epidemiology. That's a main focus of public health. And then there's like vaccinations. Um, there's other things like um, one of the examples that Jessica had mentioned uh, about something interesting about public health was like the dividers between uh, the two directions of a highway or a freeway. Those barriers are better off being loose um, and like, like, like kind of unstable 
So for example, if you have loose, white, kind of plasticky, rubbery material versus a concrete wall divider between the two sections of the highway, it'll be much better off loose because it will reduce the impact. And so an example like that seems like, like a safety thing, but when it comes to safety, that's a public health issue. And literally anything involving safety can be public health. When we hear wash our hands for, I don't know, say 30 seconds, especially during COVID, 30 seconds or longer, wear a mask, social distance, all of that is, is more stereotypical definition of public health, or not necessarily stereotypical, just the first thing that comes to mind. And that's very important, it's safety oriented. But the smallest things uh, can also be public health. Like, here's a random example, maybe the chair I'm sitting on used a certain material that was proven to increase um, uh, possibility of some spinal spinal injury over time. Like if you were to sit in that chair for a long time, that would be under injury prevention. And so um, there was just so many like overlooked sub-studies of public health, I guess is what I would really say, um, such as epidemiology. Um, and so another one is like nutrition and health economics. And one thing that Jessica pointed out about these uh, sub-studies is that uh, people are often surprised to learn that unintentional injury prevention is also a public health area. Um, and so that contrasts to just how infectious a virus, a virus is. And so again, there's just a lot of sub-studies of public health. Might interest you, it might not, but I just recommend that uh, if you're ever able to, you kind of look into it because it's a lesser studied, kind of almost lesser popular major than something like biology. We always talk about wanting to maybe like go into medicine and study biology. Uh, you can do that with public health as well. It's just like, well, what do you really want? What are you passionate about? And if you're not passionate about it, then you're not gonna be good at this. You're, you're not gonna be willing to always put your best foot forward. Uh, but if this is something that interests you, it is definitely an opportunity that would be um, really interesting. And so like out of environmental health, mental health, epidemiology, injury prevention, birth defects, uh, vaccinations, all of that, what do you two think would be like the most interesting sub-studies of public health, just like kind of going off of that brief explanation kind of, or maybe what you've, what you know on your own as well. Um, I would say, of course, epidemiology is super interesting, um, especially because it's so relevant right now. But apart from that, um, I would say environmental, um, maybe like laws and regulations around the environment. Um, I didn't even know that was part of public health, so that's good to know. But yeah, I would say that's also really relevant right now um, because of climate change, of course. And I think if the government is taking steps to you know, pass laws or um, proposals that uh, positively affect the environment, then yeah, it's a great place to be involved in and look into, yeah. Personally, for me, I think what kind of intrigued me the most was definitely about nutrition. Right. I mean, I, I completely did not think to connect the dots that nutrition was public health. Right. But it is. It is very much so. And the thing is, like, you know, I've been seeing this like kind of all over the place, especially when I'm listening to like 
the interviews of like famous people, like guys like, you know, Maxwell Jacob Friedman and all that. And, you know, like hearing like people like Maxwell Jacob Friedman speak, right? They're always like saying like, oh, hey, like I have a really tight diet, right? I'm trying to cut back on carbs, right? And it's, it's not just MJF, it's also people like LA Knight, right? Athletes like that, major athletes, they always like, you know, they're really focused on that nutrition. And the thing is like the rest of society is kind of not, you know, there yet, right? We're still all, you know, focused kind of more on, you know, kind of what makes us happy, right? But the thing is, like, I would say what's really kind of becoming more interesting is that this sort of topic has not been prevalent at all, like, before the 21st century, right? Not many people were concerned about nutrition and all that. And, you know, what really intrigues me is kind of this development of how we're going from A to Z, like, immediately. And it's just, I really want to see how this progresses, right? Because although, you know, there are a lot of us that, you know, uh, that are just kind of staying by. There are all, all sorts of people that all they want to do is tiptoe, right? They just want to tiptoe wherever they go. And it and it is really interesting to see how this all unfolds. Yeah, and actually going off of the nutrition thing, one thing that I just thought of uh, was this lecture that I watched that was very technical um, on YouTube. It's an hour and 30 minutes. Um, it's on the YouTube channel of University of California Television. It was a lecture that was done by a professor at um, University of California, San Francisco, and it's called Sugar Colon, The Bitter Truth. And it's a very popular, um, it has like 14 million views, very popular lecture from that channel. And I had to watch it for like a, a biochemistry um, like course that I was taking, but it was very interesting and it relates back to public health and nutrition because it was talking all about high fructose corn syrup and how that's almost in everything, like all, all of these processed foods that we think of. I highly recommend um, wherever you are, like maybe when you get home or if you're already at home, go through your pantry, go through the processed foods list. Like um, if you have like crystal light packets or you have like um, any, any like drinks, that are very sugary, um, like all sodas, uh, Coca-Cola, they have high fructose corn syrup. And what that lecture proved um, essentially to the audience was that it's almost as deadly as alcohol, but we consume it in everything. And so if we were to consume alcohol every single day, like all the time without realizing it, well, it wouldn't be so great. Like we would notice those, those effects very quickly. Uh, the differences with high fructose corn syrup, it's not like you're gonna see your, your body. Like if you do like the line test that the police officer will have you do if you get pulled over. That's like the example I can think of. Um, you wouldn't see the same thing obviously with high fructose corn syrup, but in the long run, you're, you're still doing damage if you're consuming a lot of high fructose corn syrup, you're doing a lot of damage to your body. And so with nutrition and public health, that's something that like public health officials can work on with companies trying to at least like reduce the amount of high fructose corn syrup and everything um, and, and trying to have people have healthier lifestyles for the overall community. Yeah, yeah all right. That was a really good statement that you just made there, Andre. Sorry to cut you off there, Mana, but Nonetheless, um, what, what I would like to contribute to, you know, what Andre said is that, like, I think it's definitely important that we keep up to date as to how public health has been updating its, you know, um, scientific research, right? You know, for 
a long time ago, people used to think that the earth was flat, right? And very clearly it is not nowadays. So the thing is, I think that is why like public health should be emphasized far more just as much as biotechnology in my opinion. Because the thing is like nowadays, I think it's really important that like Andre said, we should cut back on the carbs, right? Cut back on the gluten. Those things are not as healthy as, you know, we once thought they were. And, you know, to, you know, to eat anything in, you know, excess amount is not good, right? So same thing, cut back on the sugar, cut back on the caffeine, right? That's the important things to do, right? Anything with, you know, anything it can be bad if there's too much of it, right? Anything. Right. And I just want to say, um, yeah, there is a lot of misinformation, especially on the internet about public health. Uh, as you guys know, I'm sure there's a lot of um, unrest, I would say, in the Midwest about issues like vaccinations or mask mandates, things like that. And just getting the community to be involved in science and not be misinformed is, I would also say, a huge part of public health. Um, and I just want to say, I know in my high school, we we're required to take a health course. And you guys were talking about nutrition. And Andre, you gave the example of like road safety and stuff like that. But I'm now recalling that that health course was kind of, that mandatory health course really um, actually taught a lot of high schoolers um, in my school about aspects of public health that maybe would, we would never have known about. So even just mandatory courses like that could really help inform an entire population. Yeah, that's really great that um, public health is being included, I guess, in curriculum because it's not like a required biology or chemistry or physics um, kind of uh, educational course for high school right now. Um, and actually you had mentioned like countering misinformation is a huge challenge and focus of public health. And actually Jessica had also said that for the future of public health, she really thinks that that's where it is and that the last few years have really underscored how countering misinformation, no matter what that misinformation might be on, is very important. Um, you know, as you mentioned, especially with like vaccinations, that's never been more obvious to the general public and not just public health officials or people interested in the topic. Uh, that's something that has been widely worked on uh, in the public health sector. Um, there's also, she also mentioned in terms of like the future of public health that there's been a focus on mental health and equity, uh, two of which I think were all all are fairly familiar with, especially given COVID, both mental health and equity are very um, integral components of that. And related to the CDC, which, if, which as you guys know, specifically focuses on the United States, although as a matter of fact, they have like over 60 offices worldwide in different countries, random fun fact, um, they anticipate um, in the US, of course, that our population will age naturally. And so mental health and studying the effects of our aging population and studying the effects of how like to, to get people to live longer, I guess, especially considering an aging population, that will all be very important. So um, I just wanted to mention that as the future of public um, health. And the last thing that I thought was um, some interesting experiences and insight from Jessica 
was first of all, some experiences she had at John Hopkins that she thought would be interesting to share, just in case anyone was interested in that university. Um, it's not directly related to public health, but one of the things she wanted to mention just about Johns Hopkins is that she took a very interesting contemporary art class um, that involved performance art and just defining art, kind of like defining what public health was. And so she did a lot of photo, sh uh, photo shoots around the campus and went to different art museums, especially being that she was in Washington, D.C. Um, and then she also got to explore how COVID-19 was impacting art and how art impacted, or, or not how art, but art, how art played a role in COVID-19, how they were complementary to each other. Um, and then another experience that she had mentioned to me was just like a, a random thing in one of her lectures is that she got to meet like a US senator. Um, and so there's a lot of different unique, interesting experiences. These are not related to public health, but they're just random interesting things about John Hopkins. And so I thought it might be interesting uh, in case anyone was interested um, at all. Of course, any university has very unique uh, experiences. The last thing uh, she mentioned is like how she got involved with public health and just generally science um, competitions and opportunities at her school. And so um, she wrote an edit for a lot, uh, edited for a lot of student run science magazines. And she also had a large role in her science Olympiad at her school. And so there, there's an event currently in Science Olympiad called Disease Detectives. And that's one of the things that she did. Disease Detectives directly focuses on epidemiology. Um, and then also she uh, coached that event of Disease Detectives to elementary schoolers in high school. Um, and then her last piece of advice that she kind of tagged on was that um, apply early to college if you can, which is not related to this, uh, but just some random advice. So out of those three um, topics under biology and STEM overall, what would you guys say, um, I mean, what are you guys most interested? What, what would you guys um, recommend people look into? What are you hoping to pursue, I guess? Like, what, what do you recommend for others based on your interests? Um, so obviously I love bioinformatics, but I think throughout this podcast, I realized like, Biotech is such an interesting field. Um, I mean, those examples like Jurassic Park and cloning and all that, like it really uses a lot of imagination that I think um, science sometimes misses the mark on. Um, and yeah, that's why I think biotech is super appealing. Um, and yeah, I think it'd be kind of cool to go further into that study and learn more about it. Yeah, my recommendation for anyone who is looking to kind of, you know, delve a bit more into the biological field is, yeah, as Juan said, definitely try to look into biotech because really the possibilities are endless with biotech, right? And although it does seem far-fetched to clone dinosaurs, but the thing is, like, we all started somewhere, right? It was thought impossible that we would ever fly, you know? And, and so it, it, it only takes one moment to successfully launch something. It only takes one moment to initiate something, right? And no one is forcing you to, you know, dig deep into biology. But the thing is, this is a great opportunity. 
And opportunity is only good if you deliver. And I believe that that was said at a previous podcast. I'm now going to classify that as a Gordon Chang quote in the official Interstem Talks quote book. Uh, is, that, is that one of your quotes, Gordon? Absolutely. I mean, that, that is a quote that I live by each and every day. I mean, really, to put this really straightforward, there are a lot of opportunities out there. You can't miss them, right? And even if you do ha- get those opportunities, you need to make sure that you perform well. That's the only time that an opportunity is great, right? Although you do learn from failure, success is success. I mean, nothing you said wasn't agreeable. So um, we'll leave it to Gordon for the inspirational quotes. Yeah, and for me, um, I was very interested actually in bioinformatics. It, it is very um, closely related to biotech, but I, from this point forward, really want to go um, to a deeper depth into my understanding of bioinformatics. Um, And so that's something that I found really interesting off of this discussion. Um, Thank you everyone who had tuned into this episode. Uh, This is one of our longer episodes, but we touch on three really um, integral developing uh, parts of biological sciences. That would of course be biotech, bioinformatics and public health. We really appreciate uh, kind of your, your listening. And um, I think that going forward, like, you know, after this podcast, maybe you guys can look into a program that you'd be interested in. Um, you can, uh, you know, join Interstem. Uh, you, can, you can do whatever you think that would most interest you. And, um, and yeah, we, I mean, we'll all kind of end up in the best situation if we'll we'll go ahead and do that. That doesn't need to be in bioinformatics, biotech, or public health. But those are the three things we talked about today that would um, be very interesting options. So um, going forward in future podcasts, we hope to talk about those um, other future topics um, in the STEM field. But we hope you guys really enjoyed this podcast. Again, thank you all for listening and have a great week. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.